0: Jane
1: Brown in for Libby this week and a few days next week she is on vacation enjoying some summer time off. Well it was a good day for family members of long-term care residents after finding out they will be able to begin indoor visits in nursing homes next Wednesday. This means they will be able to help with washing and feeding as they did prior to the pandemic lockdown when they were essentially Acting as caregivers, sometimes for several hours a day. If you are one of these family members, we'd like to hear your reaction to this news. 416. 3600740 or toll-free 740 We also learned from Premier Doug Ford that he is enriching the province's funding formula for long-term care homes to encourage more private sector operators to build new facilities in the wake of the COVID-19 crisis. He's also promising air conditioning for new and revamped facilities. Joining us to talk about all of these developments, the pros and the cons, we are joined by our panel of experts, Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, Lisa Levin, CEO of Advantage Ontario, and Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. Welcome, all. Hi, Jane. Good afternoon. Thanks, Jane. Let's talk about the short-term First, and the eased restrictions on nursing home visits. Marissa, CARP has been calling for more access for family members, and it seems it is slowly happening.
2: Yes, uh, we were very pleased with yesterday's announcement. Um, it was a good announcement. On the one hand, of course, uh, you mentioned in your intro, critical investments made to long-term care. But on the other, yes, easing restrictions for family visitors and essential caregivers in a way that seemingly balances the risks of COVID with the risks of resident isolation. So, you know, I think we've seen a lot of progress in terms of controlling the spread of COVID-19 in the province and also in long-term care. And we certainly don't want to see a case
1: where we go backwards. Um, But I think that this is a measured
2: response, and we were certainly glad to see the province move in that direction.
1: Lisa, you've said that people... were not only dying after contracting COVID-19, but they were dying of loneliness during the pandemic because they were so used to having family members uh, by their side in these facilities.
3: Yes, it's it, Jane, it's just been so heartbreaking because to protect the residents in long-term care from the initial outbreak of COVID, homes had to close their doors to visitors uh, who provide such important uh, support, emotionally and physically, to their family members and, and loved ones. So it was a very difficult choice that had to be made early on. And now that the pandemic is continuing um, and the numbers are reducing, we still need to remain vigilant, but we need families to come back in.
1: Donna, how much relief will these inside visits provide? You know,
4: Jane, I going to be enormously helpful to stimulating our, 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 our the mental health and well-being of our residents. Uh, certainly, it is going to be an overwhelming relief for their family members who have been isolated from them. Uh, this has been a long four months, and I don't think any of us of saw that it was going to be this long. Uh, I, I think part of the challenge is going to be, and, and Marissa and Lisa both spoke about balance, is how do we balance safety with ensuring that we we re- reunite our family members. Uh, but it's only going to work if we have the re- the appropriate staffing and resources to ensure that everybody's kept safe with personal protective equipment and infection prevention and control and and hand hygiene and those things. So, Uh, We're going to need more resources, actually, in terms of human resources to support this because it's going to put strain on on those homes that already had a critical staffing shortage to begin with. But this is about a how, not an if.
1: Donna, have you... heard any more details about what these inside visits will resemble in other words are they is there a time limit to them can family members who before the pandemic were coming in for hours at a time do that as well or will they be kept to a certain amount of time
4: well, Jane and Lisa and I have both been part of some of these discussions uh, together with the the uh, resident council and family councils. And, and our sense is that there's going to be a lot more flexibility in terms of uh, the homes being able to work with their family councils and resident councils to define this, with the balance being um, how do we make sure that these are safe? How do we make sure that uh, we are not overtaxing the resources? I, my sense is, and Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong um there's not going to be as much detail in this as in uh, perhaps earlier policies and uh, there will be some discretion but but certainly uh, we think that there's a, a, a remarkable opportunity here to partner with our, our family and essential caregivers to develop a program to build their competency and capacity in infection prevention and c- control where they're actually clear partners in this. Uh, and I think that's going to r- work on a home by home basis as we, as we look across the province. Some of those models have already emerged through this, this first wave of outdoor visiting, uh, but we have a real opportunity to make this better and to ensure that on an ongoing basis, uh, we don't have to close the doors again.
1: Lisa, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I think that the way the
3: policy is written, it, as Donna said, it has some more flexibility, which is so important for homes to be able to respond to the needs of the residents and the families both. Uh, you know, some families actually prefer virtual visits because it's possible that they live out of town um, or they want to self-isolate themselves if they're very frail. And then other people, of course, want to be in person. So we need to make sure that we can balance all of the needs and work uh, collaboratively with residents in the home and their family members to uh, make sure that they can access their loved ones.
1: Marissa, you've mentioned uh, on the show in recent weeks about um, there are sort of holes in the system for the testing. So in other words, family members have had to had a, a negative COVID-19 test within 14 days of their visit. That's now being eliminated for outdoor visits. Uh, this is good news?
2: I think so. I think about Verna. I think your listeners will be familiar with Verna. She's called in the last few Mondays in a row, her husband in long-term care. And, you know, you could tell from her story that just even having to get a test, which would only basically unlock access to two visits, and then you'd have to go back and get another COVID test which was negative, um, in order to unlock access to another two visits. It was a real barrier for families. And I think a lot of people questioned whether or not it made sense because, of course, there's often a delay and in, in, in the time that it takes to get your results. So maybe you're negative one day and the next day you're positive. And then, so um, I think it makes a whole lot of sense, certainly for outdoor visits, where you can still maintain that sort of physical distance space. You can keep the residents safe, yourself safe, Um, and it also just, you know, removes a barrier for families to have to, you know, just jump through that hoop in order to go and see a loved one they haven't seen for some four months.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Verna uh, from Oakville. She she has called in multiple times and actually was heard by the Toronto Star. Her story was heard here on Zoomer Radio, and she was featured once again on the front of the paper today. A picture of her and her husband, a couple of them, uh, and she had the good news uh, for us on Monday that she would be able to cut her husband's hair uh, as long mm-hmm. as she was in full PPE and had all of her all of her equipment sterilized and so on. And she was really happy with that on Monday which I guess brings to light next steps what should be next in terms of these visits and um, how much time should there be between announcing these phases Uh, Lisa your reaction to that
3: well I think at this point the homes need to figure out how they're going to uh, do the indoor visits because they basically found out at the same time as the public and although we, we've we been telling them we think it's coming, and so they have to decide their policies and procedures. Um, there's also something that we haven't talked about yet, which is uh, under this new policy, essential caregivers uh, can be designated who are not staff um, that can provide care services to one resident at a home. And I think that's really important uh, and recognizes the fact that a lot of caregivers, and it sounds like Verna might be one of them, or a lot of family members, um, come and they provide physical hands-on assistance in the home and that was missing during the initial outbreak.
1: I think, yes, yeah, she did mention on Monday that she had been told that she would soon be able to be one of these essential caregivers. So they've obviously been given heads up even before the province made the announcement yesterday. Well, we
3: knew it was coming, but, you know, you can't really get it going until you you hear the official word. Right. And so some homes are going to be setting up special spaces where families can come in and visit, where there can be physical distancing and separation to keep people, you know, apart. And so a lot of procedures and things have to be put in place. And then the staff need to be um, hired to help with this. As Donna said, this is going to take a lot of staff.
1: Donna, I want to ask you about the PSW's point of view uh, and the nurses that are in the nursing homes. How welcome is this news for them?
4: It, you know, I, I I think, Jane, that it, there's there's a balance here because we know that these, especially these essential caregivers have really complemented the work of, of PSWs and nurses in the home uh, and have really almost Provided a supplement to to really provide that extra support, and it's been very challenging for PSWs uh, throughout the, the the lockout period, where they've had to tend to everybody. And you know, so you know, certainly in chatting with our uh, with our members and and their workers, uh, this is this is welcome. But to Lisa's point, they're going to need additional support to ensure that we can train and facilitate a visiting program uh, with these essential caregivers and other caregivers, but also looking at how do they use their physical space. So a lot of these old homes don't have a lot of room for it. They may only have one meeting room. They may not have uh, a lot of space that will facilitate social distancing through this. So, you know, I think that uh, our, our frontline workers see the families as partners really want to work together with their family and resident council to find some solutions on this uh, and certainly welcome the opportunity to, to, you know, you know, bring the homes back to life again.
1: Donna, it was not that long ago. We got those horrible reports from the military who were in five of the homes, uh, five of the nursing homes, which had massive outbreaks of COVID-19 any indication of how things are looking within these homes now? Has there been any improvement based on what the military flagged?
4: It, absolutely. Uh, certainly, and in, uh, in, I don't know the full details of, of uh, exactly what's gone on in the homes, but for those homes where there were military in and, and now hospitals actually have followed the military and continue to be partners uh, with the homes. Uh, marked improvement, marked support. These, these were homes that were in absolute dire, dire situations. They, they called for help. Uh, they got help. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly there has to be a commitment to continue to partner with our hospital partners and EMS and, and other health sector partners so that it never happens again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, as we're watching the outbreaks in the province right now, they're largely uh individual staff members who are being tested and are presenting with asymptomatic um, COVID-19 and uh, not the residents. And and that is something to be really uh really really happy about we will uh, add to
3: that oh yes please um, Jane it's that there still are some homes though with active outbreaks not as dire as the ones the army went into because uh you know we're we're able to catch things quicker now but we can't let our guard down Mm -hmm. and this is still as virulent uh an illness as it always has been uh, even though there's not as much of it around right now, it is still highly contagious. And we still do have homes, especially the older homes, where there are outbreaks, there are residents getting sick, and it is very difficult to control. So that's why we need to make sure that families who come inside do get tested, because every, and even that's not a guarantee, it's just a point in time. And everyone has to almost assume that they're carrying covid And, and, uh, you know, wear a mask and wash their hands as if they might be.
1: Marissa, would you like to add to that before we uh, change topics here? Sure. No, I I couldn't agree more with Donna and Lisa. Um, It's so critical that we
2: remain vigilant and even in conversations I've had with with uh, not only just family visitors who are longing to see loved ones, but people that do provide that hands-on care, the essential caregivers. There's still a reluctance on, on the part of individuals to, to even want to go in there because there's that, there's that fear. So I think it's just so critical that people you know, remain vigilant, that they are fully equipped with, with personal protective gear, um, that they wash their hands, and that they not let their guard down. Just really echoing what, what both Don and Lisa have said there.
1: You're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Jane for Libby and our panel of experts today, Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, Lisa Levin, CEO of Advantage Ontario, and Marissa Lennox there, Chief Policy Officer at CARP a New Vision of Aging. Uh, and please, uh, we are going to now talk more about the long-term plans uh, around uh, long-term care. But if you are a family member of someone in a nursing home and you've had an Experience in the recent weeks since the pandemic lockdown was lifted. Uh, also, we want to hear your reaction to the news that next week you will be able to go into the facility to visit your loved one. Please uh, give us a call, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Donna, maybe you could explain for us Premier Ford's proposed funding changes, which he outlined yesterday.
4: Yeah, so yesterday, uh, Premier Ford announced that uh, they are actually moving forward with a new uh, capital redevelopment program. Uh, Part of the the Premier and the the Conservative commitment in the last election was to build and rebuild 30,000 long-term care beds in the province. Uh, And unfortunately, you know, these are uh, beds that uh, haven't moved forward over the years. Uh, And so yesterday, uh, they did announce that they are going to be... uh, providing financing for 8,000 new beds uh, in the province, as well as the redevelopment uh, of 12,000 redeveloped beds. And this is uh, a $1.75 billion commitment that was uh, made in 2017.
1: Do you think this was the right announcement for the time? It seems, you know, Andrea Horvath brought up the point that the priorities seem to be out of whack, that we should be dealing more with the repercussions of COVID nineteen than talking about more long term beds, which never seem to happen. I mean, she points out that the previous Liberal governments also promised long term beds, which happened to the tune of maybe a few hundred, but certainly not in the thousands.
4: Yeah, I, I would say like we certainly welcome the announcement. We've got to start somewhere. We know that in the next 13 years, the population in Ontario over the age of 80 is going to double. Mm -hmm. We have 38,000 people on wait list today. Uh, We know that uh, with some of the uh, admissions restrictions around admissions and readmissions into three and four bedrooms, we've just taken about between four and 5,000 beds out of the system. There, you know, this is, we've got to start. I think the Premier said it was... um, uh, you know, ju- uh, jumpstart of, of this or a kickstart of the system. Uh, but if we don't begin someplace, and, and we don't have time, we need an expedited capital program that involves um, the municipalities, the nonprofits. Uh, yes, also uh, those uh, nonprofit, uh, those for-profit organizations, and including hospitals. We all have to work together. Be creative. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to move this forward. But we also have to do some short-term retrofits. Uh, air conditioning being one of them. We certainly, uh, both Lisa and I have flagged this to the government even early spring before a heat wave came. Uh, we've got to do re- retrofits for air conditioning for the safety of our residents and our staff. We need to do some retrofits that will allow for better infection prevention control um, upholstery, uh, carpet, carpeting on the floors does not lend itself well to infection prevention in our long-term care homes. So it takes three to five years to rebuild a home and build a new home. Uh, we don't have that kind of time when we know that this pandemic can be here for the next, as long as the next two years if we don't find a vaccine. So there has to be action today uh, on some of these other uh, capital initiatives.
1: Lisa, we've had a lot of discussions here on Fight Back about profit versus nonprofit nursing home care and how uh, the facts show that there were far more COVID-19-related deaths in the for-profit facilities in this province. Based on yesterday's announcement, it doesn't seem as if it's a consideration to get profit out of nursing homes.
3: I think what we need to focus on is You know, looking at what happened, there's going to be a commission that will be analyzing uh, what happened during the pandemic to see uh, exactly where the issues were. But in the meantime, we have 30,000 long-term care home beds that need to be redeveloped by 2025 or else the homes will close. And those are nonprofit and for-profit and municipal homes that are part of that. And so if we don't get more money that will enable um, homes to be able to afford to redevelop, they're going to close, and that's why we cannot wait, why we need to move forward with uh, this announcement, and the reason that the beds haven't been redeveloped, the ones that are, are left, is because there's, well, there's a number of reasons, but one of which is there hasn't been enough money. So, for example, many of our members would have to fundraise between 3 to $6 million, if not more, uh, to be able to build, and it's just simply, you know, not possible for, for many homes.
1: Marissa, what are CARP members going to be saying about this announcement?
2: Well, I mean, I think CARP members and Ontarians would be forgiven for being frustrated with the province. After all, they did campaign on an additional you know, 15,000 new long-term care beds, and we have yet to see any. So yesterday's announcement with, you know, the commitment of 1.7 billion, 1.75 billion is obviously welcome, 8,000 new long-term care beds, 12,000 redeveloped, it's much needed, Um and as Donna mentioned, uh, you know, the 75 age group, 75 plus age group is going to double. Um, We are, there is going to be a need for additional long-term care beds in Canada by 2035, we'll need an additional 200,000 more. Um, Canada's population is expected to grow by 68% over the next 15 years to 10 million. So these are things that are happening that we need to address. Um, but at the same time, I would agree that we also need to reflect on the much needed upgrades in homes. And that extends beyond air conditioning units, which, by the way, are absolutely critical. And I think we need more information on what the AC fund does look like. Um, But not just AC, um, not just looking at HVAC. We need to be looking at floor and window replacements, water and sewer line replacements, and of course, building upgrades, additional bathrooms, reconfiguring four-bedroom wards, and time is of the essence.
1: And what about uh, the the cost of all these retrofits, Donna? How is is it a matter of uh, Premier Ford said one point seven five billion? Is that is that new money? Is that money that's already been talked about pre pandemic?
4: Yeah, yeah, I you know I'm unclear as to that. I, I think we we're looking at the fact that nothing's actually moved forward yet. So. Uh, let's make sure that we do whatever it takes. And quite honestly, uh, we invest in what we value. Um, If $1.7 is a starting point, let's use that as a starting point. But let's not uh, be confined by dollars right now. Uh, Let's really focus on what we need to invest to keep our seniors safe, to ensure that our employees in long-term care are safe, uh, that uh, we do whatever it takes, and make those investments, not just from the province. Uh, you know, we've certainly called on the federal government to step up, and it uh, certainly wouldn't be um, out of line for the federal government to invest in infrastructure. And and uh, if there was ever a place where we need investment, it, it certainly is in long-term care. Uh, and we also uh, have called on the federal government to support with funding through the health accord that is tied to, to long-term care. Because this, at the end of the day, a bed... Represents an individual, a person, a human being, and beside that human being sits a loved one, or and many loved ones and caregivers, and then the staff caregivers. This this is not can't just be about buildings and beds. We have to make sure that we're talking about human beings
1: and people. Let's go to Dick in Thornhill. He'd like to get in on the conversation. Go ahead. What are your comments today?
5: Yeah, uh, my my dad is in the RCC. Finch and the 400. Yes. Um, we're so elated that um, this will be opening up so we can go in there and take care of our, um, our dad right now.
1: Oh, that's great. What have you been told by the administration there? How much time will you be able to spend once uh, indoor we were, visits yeah, to begin? We were
5: told that we we're going to be in there like for one hour. And at that time, we will not be able to touch the patient. But actually, we went in there last week in a bit of frustration of the, of the hospital, uh-huh. and we got in there to see him. You but do, okay? We, we hope to go in there now what, next week, and hope they will allow us to help to feed our dad, shave him, which we did, cut his nails. Right.
1: Yes, and are you having any issues around getting the results from your COVID nineteen tests to make sure that you're negative?
5: I I took the test uh, two weeks ago, hoping to go in there because I needed it, and it it came back as negative to me. Yep. Right.
1: And how how has your dad responded to being able to see you guys again?
5: Well he, he was so much you know, he was so much elated to see us. Yes. Right? And um, he would like he would he would like to see us more. Uh because we we do have the virtual check chat, uh, chat uh, two two two, three times a week. And that is not satisfying to him. He just wanna see us instead of having the virtual check.
1: Right. Well, it's great that you've been able to go in. Thank you for your call, Dick. All the best and to you. One, another yes, question I would like please. to know,
5: is the RCC the same as the Retirement Home Center? Uh,
1: maybe I can put that question to Donna.
4: I, I'm not familiar with that particular home. So unfortunately, I, I, I don't have that answer for you. I'm sorry.
3: I, I think that might be the Transitional Care Center. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh.
3: Uh, okay. So is it, at the, is it at the site of the old hospital?
1: Well, he said Finch in the four hundred. Uh, he's yeah. left us now.
3: Okay, because there is a transitional care center that used to be at the old hospital where they take people who are in hospital that don't need to be there any longer, and there's no um, not when there's not enough room in long term care, they put them in uh, in that like transitional care in, right. uh, facility. So that might be where his. Uh,
1: his father is. Marissa, uh, Dick mentioned that his father was elated. I mean, this just speaks to uh, how devastating this has been in terms of loneliness for these residents not being able to see their family members and, and what a relief and how much joy they must feel mm-hmm. in finally being able to spend even a little bit of time.
2: Oh, no question. When we've heard from from some of our own members, they've, they've remarked that when they've even just peered through the window, they it looked as though the residents of these homes were deflated, right? they hadn't they hadn't seen a loved one for so long. And so when the restrictions were first eased, and people could at the very least be outside with their loved one and could see them for the first time, what a difference it made in their lives. Um, but then of course, advocates and family caregivers remarked how necessary it was to allow people into these homes. So I think it'll be I think it's I think it was a great announcement from the province yesterday.
1: I want to ask all three of you, before I let you go, about plans for a second wave and concerns that a second wave in the fall could also come with the flu season. I'll begin with you, Lisa. Lisa Levin.
3: Thanks, Jane. Well, that's something that we've been working on uh, with government uh, for an OLTCA for the last month, if not more, and our members have already started to prepare for the second wave. And we're looking at all of the things that are needed, uh, ranging from continuing on with some of the measures that have already been in place and adding on additional measures to make sure that we have enough personal protective equipment like masks and gowns, making sure that we can uh, protect people in the homes, making sure we have enough staffing in the homes. So every consideration uh, is being looked at so that uh, the second wave is not as impactful on
1: our member homes as the first was and that life can be saved. Donna, the Premier said that they do have plans for a second wave. They haven't announced them yet. Uh, do you have any inside information on that? Well, Both Lisa and I have actually been part of discussions around uh, sort of the reflections of root causes, what went wrong,
4: uh, what went right. Uh, in fact, we have one of those discussions yesterday. We we, they haven't been uh, specific as to uh, what the measures are, but but you know we're we're very much aligned with Lisa and and her team on what needs to happen in terms of uh, continuing with the wave one action plan around uh, personal protective equipment and testing, but also. Uh, enhancing that on-site physician supports and, and, and recruiting an army of infection prevention and control specialists who are on-site all the time in the homes to build capacity to support residents and families so that we don't have to close the doors again on our family members. So these are things that we know we have to do uh, and we need to start making sure that we're putting those pieces in place today. So we're looking forward to working with the government uh, to expedite these measures. Uh, we're six weeks to September.
1: Marissa Carp has made it clear that long-term care is going to be an ongoing issue for CARP members and won't be dropped when it's no longer talked about in the news. Explain for us what's going to be going on behind the scenes at CARP.
2: Sure. Well, um, we hope to work with the um, Ontario Commission and uh, continue to work with with you know provinces right across the country, including Ontario, as well as the federal government to ensure. Um, resident safety and well-being. As I don't know that a second wave is is an if, but, but rather a when, when it does hit. We need to make sure that we don't see the kind of devastation that we did see uh, the last few months in the fall.
1: Informative discussion. Uh, we will speak again. Thank you all. Thanks very Thanks, much, Jane. Jane. We've been with Donna Duncan, CEO of Ontario Long-Term Care Association, Lisa Levin of Advantage Ontario, and Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.